Welcome back to OTN. I'm your host, BJ Picard. Thanks for hitting the download button. I'm proud to say we've made it to episode 10 of Off the Net. It's been a great start. Hopefully you've enjoyed the conversations we've had so far. If you've missed any, no worries. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and all the shows are archived right there, so you can download and listen to any episode you might have missed absolutely free. And of course, you can always hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Simple as that. We're about six weeks out from kickoff 2015, which might sound like a long time for those of you suffering from football withdrawal, but I assure you March 27th is coming up fast. Training camps are set to open up in a little more than two weeks, and that means that business, as they say, is about to pick up. AFL games are coming back to CBS Sports Network and the ESPN family of networks once again this season. I know anticipation is boiling over for the national television schedule to be released, and the announcement on that should be coming very soon. I think that and realignment are really about the only two remaining loose ends that need tying up before we're ready to kick off AFL 2-8. And this will be the 10th arena football season kickoff for my guest today, a former Rhodes Scholar finalist at the University of Wyoming. He spent four seasons in the AF2 before making the jump to the Arena Football League in 2010. He's worn numerous jerseys over the years, but has remained one of the most popular and respected players in the league, both on and off the field. He added AFL Pulse Player of the Year and Reality TV star to his resume last season with the LA Kiss, and is now one of the cornerstones of the AFL's newest franchise. He's not only the Las Vegas Outlaws quarterback, he's America's quarterback. It's J.J. Raderink. J.J., thanks for joining me today. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're really living up to that America's quarterback nickname. Yeah, I figure if you're going to have the title, you might as well uh, get a countryside split off of it. <laughs> what sold you on Las Vegas? Well, um, you know, I'm excited for the opportunity to work with uh, Aaron Garcia. We had a short set at Taylor last season there in L.A. And uh, Aaron, obviously, is one of the more uh, respected uh, players in this league, and I think he's got a bright coaching career, which I think a lot of people agree with. So uh, to kind of be there at the start of his coaching career and uh, help him have some success and get things going uh, is an exciting opportunity and one I'm looking forward to. Well, it is an exciting opportunity. Anytime that a franchise is coming to a new market, or in this case, coming back to a market, is exciting. But i got to ask, you've just been through all of this with Los Angeles, the the headaches, the challenges, the struggles everything that comes with the territory of being an expansion franchise. So what makes you want to take on all that responsibility again in Las Vegas? Well, I, I don't know what makes me want to do that again, but I do think, uh, I said it before, that, you know, your careers are are short, and they should mean something. And they can certainly mean uh, something on the field with the numbers you put up and how many championships, but uh, also uh, what kind of impact and legacy did you leave behind? And I think... Anytime you have an opportunity to help the league expand and uh, being someone who's been through some of those startup roles for some of these teams, uh, I feel like I'm conditioned to it and maybe a little bit more prepared than, uh, than some players. So uh, being the position I am as far as quarterback and have done, uh, having done this before, uh, you know, I, I know what we'll go through and I know there'll be some challenges, but I certainly uh, feel that I can handle that and if we can fight through that, and I can be a big part of that, help grow the league and, and make this a successful venture, then uh, I know I've left a positive mark on the league. You must also enjoy playing for rock star owners. You just came from the L.A. Kiss. Now you've got Vince Neal with uh, the Outlaws. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm excited to see in 2016 uh, what 80s band is going to come to the forefront owning a team. And uh, again, if it's, it's got to be in a different city, so I can try and hit them all. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. You've been in the arena game since 2006, but you were introduced to kind of a whole new audience last year in L.A. with the 4th and Loud show on AMC. Yeah, that was that was certainly something that uh, you really never think you're going to uh, get an opportunity uh, to be a part of, especially when you feel all the different reality shows and everything. And uh, I remember when I first got the call uh, about that, uh, and I thought it was a joke. You can't put the player personnel guy in. L.A. Scott Bailey, and he said, uh, hey, uh, they're going to be doing a reality show. You're going to get a call from some producers of a production company in Los Angeles. And I, I started laughing, and, and when I was making light of it, making a joke, and then Scott, uh, he said, I'm being 100% serious. There's going to be a show about this, and I think they want to talk to you about being one of the main characters. Can you debrief us a little bit on your experience? Obviously, you've been in the league a long time without the cameras around like that, but what was it like going through the year, uh, kind of having your every step documented? The first part of the season uh, really was kind of a culture shock uh, for myself and a lot of the players. I remember checking into the hotel for training camp, and I had to actually text the producers when I was about 15 minutes out because they had to have cameras ready for me pulling into the parking lot, uh, and then somebody to walk in right behind me, right in front of me, and there were three cameras all from different angles when I was checking into the hotel. And uh, from then on, I knew it was going to be a year unlike any other. And uh, you, to say that you get used to it, I don't think you necessarily do get used to the cameras being there uh, like they were. It was certainly a great experience and something I... Uh, and I'm really proud to have gone through it. Again, hopefully it was something that uh, kind of helped the league grow. But it, it, when people say, oh, you get used to the cameras, it will become natural. I, I never really felt like it did, uh, just because you knew that the wrong, something could be taken out of context or, you know, something could uh, be construed one way. And, uh, you know, how you were represented and what you stood for on the show was, something that was very important to me, so I always wanted to make sure uh, that I was conscious of that, and that if there was any film, it was nothing but the positive light. It seemed like you had a pretty good relationship with your owners there. It had to be pretty cool hanging out with Gene and Paul. Obviously, they had plenty of other commitments with uh, the band and whatnot, but it seemed like they were really in tune and committed to being good owners in the AFL and making this thing work in L.A. Yeah, I think they have a lot of pride in anything they put their name on. They certainly wanted to succeed, and this was a completely new venture for them. Uh, they, you know, they've been so successful in marketing uh, the band and everything that they've done over the years. Uh, talk about really stepping out of your comfort zone uh, into something like this, and I thought that was impressive. After going four years strong with what they've accomplished, you know, some people would say, okay, I've had enough, I've done a lot, but you know, they're still motivated and they're still going. And uh, so that was awfully impressive. And from a player standpoint, uh, you see that and you realize uh, how hard they worked and, and, the fortune, and the fortune that they've had to uh, be as successful as they've had, uh, they've been. But uh, like you said, it was, it was fun because um, I remember calling home and talking with some friends one time and I was telling them this was after we did a couple commercial shoots, photo shoots, and uh, we were doing this with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, and 
I was telling my friends, I said, yeah, we did a deal today, and I had Gene uh, on my right-hand side, left on the, and Paul on the left-hand side, and I'd tell them where I wanted them situated for these pictures. And uh, my friends kind of laughed. They said, I love how you say them nonchalantly, like we went to high school with these guys, you know, and they're uh, two of the most famous rock stars, uh, really, in history. Nothing that uh, I ever would have imagined when I got into arena football uh, in 2006 that I would have an opportunity uh, to be a part of, but what I, it was one of those, even going through it, because uh, clearly we didn't have the win-loss record that we wanted, I knew that it still would be a season that was uh, going to be one of the most memorable, and really was an honor to be a part of it. Let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Colorado, three-sports star in high school, and then you headed off to college to play at the University of Wyoming. And there you were a three-time academic all-conference selection and a Rhodes Scholar finalist. There aren't a ton of professional football players with Rhodes Scholar finalists on their resumes. How does one become a Rhodes Scholar finalist? Um, it was, uh, what had happened was uh, my dad and I had always talked about growing up. Uh, when you, especially in high school, you're going to get an opportunity for scholarships. And there's a few different types of scholarships, uh, and this is really the order that they should go in. Uh, the first is who you are and uh, you know, how you're perceived, uh, how you represent yourself, what, you, what kind of impact you have uh, on an organization or a school when you go there. Uh, the second would be academic, uh, and then the third would be sports and the athletic part. And I always want to make sure that I kept those uh, ideas, and maybe that's kind of the pecking order of how, you know, you should, uh, that I kind of wanted to, to live not only my college life, but kind of the rest of my life on, uh, because, you know, those are the things that were kind of stressed to me, and those are the important things. So, uh, when I, I got to college, I, I kind of kept that mindset, but then I knew I was going to have, uh, you know, maybe an opportunity to do something else, and I had some very, uh, fine professors who kind of urged me in that direction towards uh, the Rhodes Scholar. And the further I went into the research of it, I realized that it represented everything that uh, I felt was uh, indicative of somebody who uh, is successful and, and does the right things. And, uh, and so I thought the opportunity to apply for that and go through that process uh, was going to be once in a lifetime. And uh, certainly I got very close, uh, and there's definitely days you wonder what could have been if you had made it, but uh, to go through that process and to be considered uh, as highly as I was in that process uh, was a huge honor. Uh, like I said, I think it also kind of helped groom me for some other things and kind of rise to, uh, you know, a different aspect, especially in college when you're playing a sport. Uh, you're just so tied up into that almost the whole time uh, that you forget that there's, you know, a lot of things going on and a lot of other impacts uh, that you can make on the school and the community. And uh, going through that process, it kind of broadens uh, my horizons on that front and allowed me to do some things and get involved in community events that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to be a part of. So in 2006, you came to Arena Football. How'd you come across the AF2? Well, uh, so after college, I knew that I wanted to uh, get into the sports industry, and I thought I wanted to um, be maybe in the front office of an organization or, uh, you know, do something that uh, was that was certainly sports-related. And 
I, I looked and there was an opportunity uh, to work at the uh, Pepsi Center in their uh, uh, in, in their sales department for the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. Well, it turned out it was basically an internship where I was making uh, 100 cold calls a day, uh, four days a week for two months straight. And about halfway through the process, I just realized that I just couldn't, it, it just wasn't where I wanted to be at that point. So I remember calling my dad. I said, Dad, remember, you know, I didn't get drafted by the NFL, but I had all those arena teams uh, contact me. So yeah, I said, I think I'd like to give it a, a shot and see what we can do. And so uh, I had to kind of start from the bottom and start from scratch. And I uh, went to some open tryouts. I, uh, I went to... Uh, the, the very first one I went to was actually in Las Vegas. I, that wasn't prophetic enough. And, uh, I, I showed up and there was tons of guys. I thought, well, they're never even going to know that I was here. I mean, I don't know if I, you know, made a good decision in, in coming to Tuda. And, um, when I got back, uh, I, there was a phone call waiting for me. And, uh, it was one of the coaches from there. And he said that I had graded on highest water quarterbacks. And, since I was kind of green and had never played that game, uh, they'd sure like to see me uh, get some experience at some level. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, let's see. So I, I went to another uh, open tryout in Chicago, or excuse me, in St. Louis, but it was for Chicago Rush. Uh, and Coach Mike Hornsby, who I played for, obviously, for a few years in Chicago and Iowa. And uh, same thing. He said, well, you know, you're, you're green but uh, you certainly look like you can play the game. And so it seemed like the best advice I was getting from a lot of these people was uh, to go get some experience and uh, whatever I could do. And that happened to be the AF2. And, uh, you know, I, I started the season in Spokane, Washington. I was excited to, again, uh, start something brand new. That was their inaugural season. And a uh, week in a training camp, I got a call from my coach and he said, you're doing a really nice job, and we think you're going to be a fantastic player in this league one day, but we just can't go forward starting a rookie. And uh, even in AF2, and I thought, well, this is just crazy. I had I had no idea it was like this. And uh, so it, it was an eye-opener for sure, uh, but uh, they ended up trading me down to Shreveport, Louisiana, where I played my rookie season for John Fortune. And uh, we, I certainly had some... Uh, once along the way, but uh, it was one of the best experiences. Uh, and there was times that I wasn't even sure if I was, was going to continue my career because I just didn't know if this game was for me or if I was in over my head. But uh, it, things got better and uh, turned out to be about the best decision I made is to uh, stay in arena football. And it led me to avenues that I never would have thought possible and uh, experiences that I could never dream of that I was going to be. Uh, able to live out. So after Shreveport, you spent the rest of your AF2 career in Quad Cities with the Steam Wheelers. And while you were there, you had the benefit of throwing to one of Arena Football's 25 greatest wide receivers in Jesse Schmidt. What was it about Jesse's game that made him such a dominant receiver in the AF2 and AFL? Well, Jesse was, uh, from what I could tell right away, uh, the first time that I met him, I realized uh, how talented and special Jesse really was as a player. He, uh, I remember I showed up and the coach said, uh, uh, he said, wait till you see this Jesse Schmidt. Well, this guy walks in and he, he's a younger kid and um, he, uh, 
he looked like uh, he looked like a fullback. He was about 235, 40 pounds, maybe somewhere there. And, and I remember thinking, I thought, well, he's for a fullback just been kind of small. And then the coach said, okay, why don't we line up and run some routes? And, uh, and I saw him go out there, and uh, I hadn't really put two and two together yet, but it was Jesse because it was kind of all getting thrown into the mix, and we were just, uh, you know, I thought everyone was going to go out there. Well, he ran a go route just to kind of warm up. And I was trying to simulate a game-type situation and where you look off, uh, you know, it's free safety and then come back to the go route. And I expect to be about, you know, by the time I got there on the third step, maybe 15 yards downfield. And I think he was around the 30-yard down mark, and he was still gaining speed. And I thought, well, there's no way this guy can be this fast. And it's going to be able to, you know, walk in through gum or be able to catch the ball. Well, then we're kind of throwing him the ball and one-handed things. And the coach just said, why don't you, you know, throw him behind us, see what he can do, and, and the things we did. So I could tell how special he was going to be, um, not only the physical talent, but just the type of teammate and person he was. It, it was pretty clear right away that uh, uh, he, he was, in my opinion, uh, I thought he was going to get picked up by the NFL many times over the fact that he didn't is still kind of a shock to me uh, but he and I just became great friends and because uh, I knew how quality of a person he was I wanted to surround myself with with people like Jesse and I had some fantastic ones throughout the year but yeah we certainly um, saw eye to eye on a lot of things and uh, then you know on the field he was just um, so big so strong and so fast that uh, it, it was pretty obvious um he was, he was really tough to cover for anyone one-on-one. Uh, and then the other thing that Jesse did, which uh, I think a lot of people would also agree, is I think he made the people around him better. I know he made me better, and I think he helped the other wide receivers uh, that he played with throughout the years. And so uh, it was, you know, along with a lot of guys that I played with, so hopefully uh, we'll get an opportunity in the future to keep playing with. Um, you know, it was, it was a big honor to, to have an opportunity to throw to someone like that. When the AFL came back in 2010, you and Jesse and a number of other AF2 players had the opportunity to move up to the AFL level. How'd you end up with the Chicago Rush? You know, like you said, the league was starting to form back, and uh, I think a lot of the guys from the old, what was considered AFL, uh, the money situation did not uh, was not conducive to what they were used to or what they needed uh, based on their lifestyle, so they moved on to other things, what opened up the window for uh, some more of us, and I got a call from Coach Hollinsey, uh there in Chicago, and just uh, his reputation clearly uh, preceded him, as it should, not only as the first uh, guy to throw a touchdown pass in the league, but what he had done as a coach, and how successful he had been, and how he's revered by uh, all the other coaches and players in the league, so I was, I remember where I was, I was uh, working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I got the phone call from him and how excited I was, and uh, I was trying to kind of play my poker face even over the phone, and he said, well, we'd like to send you a contract, and I mean, the opportunity to play for him, to play in a city like Chicago, uh, and, and the ownership that they had in place at that time, uh, I mean, I was uh, the proverbial kid in the candy store. I couldn't wait to try and uh, make that team and have some sort of impact and learn from him, and fortunately I did get that opportunity. 
your best statistical season to date came in 2012 with the Barnstormers. And I mean, anytime you're breaking records that were set by Kurt Warner or Aaron Garcia, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah, and that was probably me. That that was probably uh, individually uh, the the greatest honor that, and as far as uh, accomplishment uh, that are uh, measured in statistics that I'll ever uh, have an opportunity to have, and and that would be not just because. It's somebody who played in the NFL and was a Super Bowl MVP and an NFL MVP, but because of who it was, how he carries himself as being Kurt Warner, uh, and yeah, just, I mean, there could not be anybody else that I can think of that played professional football or sport that you wouldn't want to be mentioned in the same breath with. And uh, so to be in that same and no matter what, having a sentence where Kurt Warner and, and my name are are in there uh, is just one of the greatest honors. And again, not just because of what he did, but uh, the type of person he is or, and what kind of impact he's had on and off the field at every level he's been. Well, absolutely. And Kurt's still a great ambassador for the sport of arena football. You know, he, he hasn't forgotten where he came from, which is pretty cool. It really is. And a lot of guys, I think... Um, they easily could, and most people would kind of forget them if they walked away and said, ah, was, that was then, and I moved on to other things that uh, were perceived as bigger uh, by many others, so they kind of forget that. But he doesn't seem to be that type of person, and I don't think he is uh, at all. I think he's as genuine as he comes across. And, uh, you know, I, I still, I met him once. It was a quick exchange. Uh, in the, after the 2010 season that was in Arizona when they were having Kurt Warner night, and we played there, and I made it a point to uh, go over and give him a quick handshake just because uh, I think the absolute world of him, not only as a player, but uh, as a person. And, uh, you know, I'm, I think part of the reason I think I, I like to keep playing is that guys like him that uh, have been ambassadors for the game, and, you know, hopefully I'll even get the opportunity to sit down with them and, and really you know, talk about his journey and, and how he got through some of the times and, uh, you know, got to the level where he was at. Well, you happen to play with another guy who got his start in the arena football game and has since moved down to the NFL world. Uh, in 2012, you were throwing touchdown passes to Chris Matthews. Uh, what do you remember about uh, Chris, who most recently kind of broke out as a star at the Super Bowl? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I was watching the game with, uh, uh, there, there was a birthday party, uh, one of my friends and uh, we were at a place and we were watching it and I had seen Chris recover the onside kicks against the Packers in the NFC Championship game and so I was awfully excited for him and I thought, man, I really hope he gets an opportunity because I know he's as talented as these other guys and he's got the size uh, so hopefully he does and to see him do that, I mean, I, I really had no allegiance to either team uh, but I was cheering like crazy. I was so excited for him. Uh, and Chris, actually, I remember when he showed up, uh, we had a preseason game. Uh, it was actually against Chicago. And uh, I only had played the first quarter, uh, but this was in the fourth quarter. I remember Chris ran uh, a kind of a, it was a post route, but he threw a little double move on top of it, something that really it takes a few years for guys, even in the arena league, uh, to learn. And Chris had just been watching some of the veterans like Jesse and Marco Thomas, Colin Taylor, and he had watched those guys. 
and he uh, actually came through and, and did that. And I thought, whoa, for a guy that size to be able to have that kind of shake and wiggle, uh, pretty impressive. Well, then, you know, as the season got going, uh, he became fearless going over the wall. He was making some fantastic catches. And, you know, the last game he played for us was in Utah, and he made a one-handed catch on a fourth and ten on a little skinny post that uh, I probably should have thrown the check down out, but I gave Chris a chance, and then later in that game, he caught one in the back of the end zone, uh, went up and, and caught it, much like the uh, passes he caught the other day in the Super Bowl, so that was kind of fun for me, kind of reminiscent. And uh, Chris was just a fantastic young kid and really absorbed everything that uh, the veterans and the coaches were trying to impart onto him. And uh, has certainly taken that same mentality to the next level. And uh, he'll he'll stay humble, but I think he certainly has uh, made a name for himself. And I'm excited to see uh, what kind of NFL career is going to come out of it for him. Yeah, as an AFL guy, I was happy to see him succeed. As a Packer fan, it still really pains me that he recovered that onside <laughs> kick. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, uh, uh, you know, the center in L.A. last year was signed to the practice squad, Joe Matt for the Packers. Uh, so Joe and I are good friends, so I was calling for him, and uh, I thought that would have been fun for him to get that opportunity to, to go to the Super Bowl and be part of that. But uh, Chris certainly took advantage of the opportunities he had there, and I think uh, I think he's got a career in front of him that's going to be fun to watch for all of us. I agree. So you guys report to camp here in a few weeks, but you've actually got a job outside of football as well. What is it that you do when you're not in pads? Well, I work for a software company where I tracking software for car dealerships. Essentially, it uh, makes sure that the salespeople uh, don't lose track of their customers, helps them sell cars better, and then uh, runs many reports and has a lot of different functions uh, for the managers to make sure that their employees are doing the right things that they're optimizing all their opportunities uh, to, to basically sell cars. And uh, I got the job when I was in Chicago, and the company has been just fantastic throughout the years, not only allowing me to uh, continue to play football, but really supporting me and understanding that it's very important to me. I've uh, kind of dedicated a, a huge part of my life to, uh, to playing ball, and so for them to... Uh, allow me to and give me this opportunity uh, has been certainly uh, very special and I feel like I'm forever in their debt for everything they've done for me. So what does the future hold for America's quarterback? Now you're not old, <laughs> but you are seasoned. You've been at this arena thing for a while. you got a good job outside the game. What motivates you to keep going? You know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people tell me, they say, we're, a lot of my friends say we're living vicariously through you. And Everyone says it, and uh, you really have to understand that the opportunity to play at this level is not going to last forever. And I think one of the things I remember, my father and I are extremely close. We talk all the time, and I remember him telling me way back when I was growing up that whatever I did, the worst thing in the world is to have any sort of regret and look back and say, I, I should have done this, I I could have stayed in the weight room another 15 minutes, or I could have stayed in the library another 15 minutes, or I should have run one more hill or done one more thing. And so that stuck with me throughout my life, and I've tried to apply it to every venture that I take on. Uh, and, and so with the career, you don't want to 
uh, overdue, uh, you know, overstay your welcome. But at the same time, uh, you want to make sure that you've exhausted all efforts and done everything you possibly can uh, to be as successful as you can and to leave some sort of legacy. Uh, because, I, I, like I tell people, I, I'm hoping that when my head hits the pillow 15, 20 years from now, every single night, uh, I'll have maybe a little smile on my face that, uh, yeah, maybe there were some more wins I would like to have had or some championship or some more accolades on that front. But everything that I could control, I did. And, uh, you know, I, I was revered as one of the uh, more impactful players in the league and did everything I could to, to make it successful. Well, if nothing else, I know at least with fans, you're widely regarded as the nicest guy in pro sports. So that's that's got to count for something. Well, and, and honestly, it really does. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, again, you always want to have records and, and win a lot of games, but you certainly don't want to do it at the expense of uh, being, you know, taking advantage of someone or becoming someone that you don't want to be. When it's all said and done, Really, nobody will remember uh, the exact number of yards or touchdowns that you threw for uh, without having to look it up. But what they will know uh, readily is uh, what kind of person you were. And, and uh, that, that is certainly more important to me. So to hear you say that is uh, it's humbling, but uh, it's, it's very good to hear for sure. Well, hey, man, it's the truth. Uh, how can fans interact with you? You know, I have Facebook. Uh, <laughs> The guy's in L.A., so I'm glad you called me season, not an old guy, but when it comes to social media, I am not, I, I am old because I, uh, I, they set me up with Instagram. Uh, I did not realize that it was uh, Insta, and you were only supposed to do things that were kind of uh, instant, unless it was one of these throwback days, so I thought it was like Facebook, I was posting pictures from months back, and people said, you're not quite understanding what Instagram is here, so... Uh, luckily, they taught me that before I've treaded on to uh, tweeting and getting a Twitter account. I still don't have one of those, but uh, I'm sure that'll be something that uh, the younger generation, as I keep playing, will uh, will help me uh, get started in my career. Well, we'll keep an eye on your uh, emerging Twitter account then for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah I hope, hopefully what I'll, what I'll say will be good. It's just a matter of actually getting me to get it onto the, uh, the account there to make sure it's readable. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. You're a Rhodes Scholar finalist. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Cool. Well, JJ, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, that's all we got for you. Best of luck to you and the Outlaws this year. I think there's a fair chance we'll see you uh, back on national TV here in the very near future. So we'll look forward to that and uh, catch up with you down the road. All right, you. Thank you very much, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me. Anytime, my friend. Take care. You too. Well, there you have it, folks. America's quarterback. You know, I don't know how good the Outlaws are going to be on the field this year, but I do know that as soon as they could start bringing in free agents, the first guy they picked up was J.J. Raderink. And it wasn't just because of his skills on the football field. It's because he's the kind of guy you want representing your team. Especially for an expansion franchise. You want a face who's going to say and do all the right things to build your brand in a positive way, and that's who J.J. is. He really is one of the most genuinely nice people you'll ever come across. You know, his parents raised him right. He's obviously very smart. And from that conversation, I think you can tell how much he respects the game. That, to me, is significant. You know, he understands the history of the game and what this sport means to so many of us. 
and all the opportunities that playing this sport has facilitated for him on a personal level, and he wants to give back. He's just somebody you want to cheer for, whether you're an Outlaws fan or not. But that's going to do it for this week's show. I'd like to once again thank my guest today, Las Vegas Outlaws quarterback J.J. Raderick. Off the Net is back next week on iTunes and SoundCloud. Until then, I'm B.J. Picard. Thanks for listening.